0: Welcome to Life at the Ballpark. On this episode, you'll hear a veteran sports writer reflect on his 40-plus years covering baseball and the over 30 books he's written about Cardinal legends like Ozzie Smith, Red Shane Deets, and Jack Buck.
1: He thought he blew that call. I mean, it's one of his most famous calls about go crazy, folks go crazy. And he stood up in the booth as he was making that call and looked at the engineer and said, what did I just say? He thought he had not made a good call. I mean, and obviously he's known for legendary calls, that call, the Kirk Gibson home run on national radio and and some others. But he literally didn't know until the people reacted to it later how memorable that call would turn out to be. Welcome
0: to Life at the Ballpark, sharing stories from players, managers and coaches, writers and broadcasters about their lives around baseball, from the sandlots to the big league ballparks. Hi, I'm John Frost and my guest today is Rob Rains, a veteran sports writer who's seen a lot of baseball in his 40 years in the press box. Rob, thanks for sharing about your life at the ballpark.
1: Thanks, John. I appreciate
0: it. Rob Rains runs SDLSportsPage.com. And, uh, boy, look at these list of accomplishments. He was inducted into the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame in 2017 and the St. Louis Media Hall of Fame in 2018. He's a former National League beat writer for USA Today's Baseball Weekly, and he's written... More than 30 books, many of them on baseball, including books about Ozzie Smith and Jack Buck and Red Shane Deans and Mark McGuire and Albert Pujols. Well, Rob, you have had an amazing career over the last 41 years.
1: Yeah, I was telling you earlier, we were talking a little bit that it doesn't seem like it's been 41 years that it's gone fast, but that's what the calendar says it is, so I know it's true.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and you've covered the Cardinals since when?
1: Nineteen eighty was okay. my first year for for different outlets, and then as a, primarily in St. Louis, I, I also, you know, spent five years. Uh, the first five years that USA Today Baseball Weekly was around is one of the we started that publication in nineteen ninety one. I was mm-hmm. the National League beat writer for five years, so covered the, the entire league at that point, and since then been yeah. back in St. Louis.
0: Yeah, tell me about stlsportspage.com.
1: It's a website that covers, you know, primarily the Cardinals, other stories around St. Louis as well. We started it about twelve years ago. Actually, my son and I were doing a, a radio show in St. Louis, and we started the website just to kind of promote the radio show and have a place to, you know, put the interviews and archives, those kind of things. And then, as happens in this business, the radio station decided to change formats from an all sports format, so we were, you know the show had to move on to something else so mm-hmm. and actually my son has turned out to, to be an award winning sports writer in idaho he covers boise state for uh, the idaho press for football and basketball and has been a three-time idaho sports writer of the year so he's done real well out there unfortunately it's far away from uh, us and the grandkids uh, than we would like but mm-hmm. that's just the way the business goes so so at that, that point we decided to turn it over and just start doing the website exclusively and all the advertisers sponsors who have been with us on the radio show all stayed with us on the website and we've oh, been nice. doing it ever since so. well
0: that's great well is this will air. Uh, We will be coming uh, right out of spring training uh, 2021. What are your thoughts on the Cardinals so far that you've seen and what questions do you have about uh, what they need to decide going into the season?
1: Observation is one that was really easy, and anybody in the ballpark uh, could could tell it. It's knowing the is very fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just going to make a major difference to this ball club, I think, on and off the field, defensively, offensively. Just uh, you know, he looks like he. You know, and I saw Wainwright. One of the conversations we had with Wainwright during the spring said he can't believe this guy hasn't been a Cardinal for ten years. And I kind of think that the same thing. He just fits in perfectly. So that's that's the first observation. Secondly, I do think they're the best team in the division. I think the division as a whole took a step back. Over the winter, although I think Milwaukee made some late improvements you know signing Colton Wong obviously was a, a good plus for them I think so I think they're the second best team in the division but I think this is the Cardinals division to, to lose the question still is offense I mean even with Arenado I think that they are a better team offensively I think having Dylan Carlson for a full year is going to benefit them offensively I'll, obviously Tyler O'Neill got off to a great start this spring so they're really hoping that can carry over into the regular season but until they prove it on the field you know, during the regular season, there are going to be questions about the, the offense. But, but saying that, if this team is going to win, they're going to win the same way they've done it in the past, and that's with pitching and defense. Mm-hmm. I think they clearly have the best pitching staff in the division, and they clearly have the best defense, probably the best defense in the whole National League, if not in all of baseball.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there a chance that the Nolan Arenado trade is going to end up being one of the greatest trades in Cardinal history?
1: It all depends on how long he stays. You know, he still has those two opt-out out causes in his contract, which I don't think is going to be a concern. But, you know, until you get past that point, you, you never know. And you never know. Health could always dictate things. I mean, you're, you know, one freak injury away from a, a career being interrupted or, or changed. So you, you can't say that at this point. But certainly on paper, what they had to give up, I, I would have given up much more to get R and out of them what they gave out. Now, now, I guess, you know, the opt-outs kind of changed that picture a little bit because you don't have to be concerned about that. But the fact that they were able to get him for, you know, not really including any of their top prospects, you know, obviously a guy in Domba that's going to be a, a quality major league pitcher, but not a top-of-the-rotation starter, not, you know, Flaherty type, you know, that I think that was amazing. And then throwing the fact that, oh, yeah, the Rockies are going to give you $51 million to help <laughs> offset his salary, too. I mean, you talk about a highway robbery, i mean. It's just <laughs> If I was a ticket seller in Colorado this year, I would oh, think I really would have a, have a oh, tough go with it. So, but no kidding. Good for the Cardinals if they were able to pull it off.
0: Well, then I was just trying to make a list of some of the great trades, and I wrote down, obviously, uh, Lou Brock, I think, is the one that everybody points to.
1: That's the, that's the benchmark that you always compare trades yeah. to.
0: Yeah. Sure. yeah, absolutely. And the funny thing about that trade, as you well know, because you're, you're a baseball historian, is that the Cardinal players were not excited about that trade because Ernie was a was yeah. a 20-game winner.
1: The people at the time thought the Cubs had made the better trade. Mm-hmm. That's right. Because Brock had played in the big leagues, but hadn't had a lot of great, overwhelming success. It won one long run at the Polo Grounds that everybody talked about. But beyond that, there was still kind of an unproven player. And, and Boyle was, you know, 20-game winner so. But there again, you know, injuries happen, and you know that trade happens. I mean, Carlton for Rick Wise is the opposite trade. You know, yeah. if you want to make tr- trades, they're the worst trades in history. But <laughs> you know, getting McGuire was a great trade. Getting Holiday was a great trade. Um, obviously, the Wainwright trade turned out to be great, but you mm-hmm. didn't know that at the time because yeah. he was a minor league pitcher at the time. So yeah. you just never know. You know, you just you know t- do your best shot and hope for the best.
0: Aussie Smith was a pretty good trade.
1: That was a pretty good trade. Yep. Even though the, the Cardinals traded away an well. all star
0: to get Isaac.
1: There were people at the time that thought that was not a great trade either. Sure. I mean, there were, at the time, the big question Offense. You know, I mean, everybody knew he was a very good defensive player, but Templeton had you know 200 hits in a season, and obviously had some you know off the field stuff that kind of interrupted uh, what should have been a, a very good career. But you know, he was a, considered one of the best young players in the in the game at the time. So you know, there are people that question that trade for why about that trade in the beginning, but obviously, in, again, in retrospect, and that's what I mean. You just have to wait, you know, Absolutely. till a player's career is over before you really can judge something like that. Absolutely.
0: The one other person I would certainly put on that list, and, and that could be a long list, and we could spend all day doing that, would be Willie McGee.
1: And that, again, was kind of another unknown. I mean, at the time, they didn't know that they were you know, getting, they were getting a minor league outfielder that they thought they had a little ability, but didn't have to trade anything to get him. And the funny thing about that trade was Steinberg, got, once McGee got to the Cardinals and got had so much success, Steinberg got so upset about what the Cardinals had gotten and then what the Yankees had gotten. And, and Bob Sykes, you know, an okay pitcher, but not anything. You know the the Cardinals had to make it up to him and, and trade him a couple of younger prospects and Bobby him and Stan Javier for nothing just oh, to kind I of make Steinbrenner. They won't tell you that, but that, that was, you know, yeah. people around the Cardinals at the time had a good relationship with Steinbrenner and they, they said, okay, we'll make it up to you. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's something.
0: Well, let me uh, get into some of the books that you've written, because you've written over 30, most of them baseball books, and you've written about some some people I want to ask you about. And if you have any okay. thoughts or stories about it, let's let's just go back to Ozzie. Maybe you've written a biography on Ozzie Smith. Tell me about Ozzie. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, he was just a terrific guy. I mean, we just got to know each other pretty well. And the the, the thing about the timing of that book was, well, I actually read two with Ozzy. One was called Wizard, which is his autobiography. The first book really kind of main book that I ever wrote. And then the second one was when he got into Cooperstown. We did kind of a, just a... Story, collection of stories and pictures and stuff about you know the road to Cooperstown. But the, the thing about Ozzy was we had talked, you know, obviously I was the beat writer for the St. Louis Club Democrat at the time, covering the team, so I was around him on a daily basis and we got to know each other really well and liked each other. And, you know, I told him at some point I said, you know, we should think about writing a book. And he goes, Okay. And so well then the newspaper folded in nineteen eighty six and so I went to him and I said, hey, you know what? I got a little time available if uh, you want to think about doing that book now. So that was the, the timing of that. It probably, in retrospect, came out a little bit too early because he obviously played another nine years or so in the mm-hmm. in the big league. So probably could have waited a little bit. And I look back on it now and think, see how much better I could have written it. But it was a great process at the time and, and taught me a lot about the book writing business and taught me that I really kind of enjoyed writing books. And so I, I, I'm very appreciative to Ozzy for giving me the chance to uh, to do that.
0: In fantasy camp one year, uh, I asked Ozzy. I said, was the home run you hit in the 85 playoff against the Dodgers? I said, was that the only left-handed home run of your career? He says, no, it wasn't the only, but he says it was the first.
1: It was. It was. It was a magical moment that was just crazy. And the funny thing about that home run, and I know you're going to ask me about Jack Buck, (laughs) too. One of the stories that we tell in, in Jack's book, was he thought he blew that call. I mean, it's one of his most famous calls about go crazy, folks go crazy. Uh, you know, Isaac Smith said a home run the Cardinals, you know, won the game. And he stood up in the booth as he was making that call and looked at the engineer and said, what did I just say? Oh, my goodness. You know, he didn't realize at the time he thought he had, he had not made a good call. I mean, and obviously he's known for, you know, legendary calls. That call, the Kirk Gibson home run mm-hmm. on national radio and, yep. and some others. But he literally... Didn't know until the people reacted to it later how memorable that call would turn out to be.
0: It's funny the uh, the impact that Jack Buck had on other broadcasters because if you no. ask any of them, and I've and I've asked Bob Carpenter, I've asked Dan McLaughlin, I've asked Ricky Horton, I've asked uh, so many about tell, tell me your Jack Buck story, and they all have a Jack Buck story.
1: Oh yeah, no, because he because he took an interest in those guys. I mean, he wanted them to succeed. I mean, I was looking at Joe Buck. I mean, you know, there's no, mm-hmm. nobody who's who learned more from his dad than, than Joe did. I mean, the the classic, you know, Jack Buck Joe Buck story is that when it was I think it was Joe's it was either seventeenth or eighteenth, I forget now exactly which one it was, the birthday. The Cardinals were playing the Mets in Shea Stadium and Joe was with him on the trip. And Jack said, Happy birthday to to Joe Buck, you know, blah, blah, blah. Here he is to bring you to the seventh inning. And Jack and Shannon got up and left the booth and left Joe there to call the inning by himself on the radio. So yeah, so you know he just he just really took an interest in all and kind of wanted to help shape their careers and and you just learn from him by listening to him. Yeah. You know one of the one of the things I thought was always great about Jack and it sometimes didn't necessarily come off during the play by play broadcast, but he would tell me that anytime he was doing an interview, especially like on a, a pregame show or something like that, he said I always knew the first question I was going to ask. But I never knew the last question. Mm. And, his point, and his point in that was he was going to listen to what the person he was interviewing said mm-hmm. and respond and ask questions accordingly. I think that's one of the problems that a lot of young journalists make today is they have things so prearranged in their head mm-hmm. of what questions they want to ask. And I'm not saying you don't, you shouldn't prepare. I'm not saying you shouldn't have questions available. But be willing to listen to what your interview subject is saying and adjust accordingly. You know, adjust your questions accordingly mm-hmm. to uh, to respond to to what is being said in that interview.
0: One of the things that I remember about Jack Buck was his famous speech after nine eleven, and how yes. he went on the field and I believe it was a poem. Was it not? Did he write? It was a poem. A
1: poem. Yeah. It was a poem. Yeah, he was he was a very accomplished poet, and and actually in his autobiography, include two or three of his poems that that were very good. He was he was a well you know well read man. He was a well ed, you know personal education maybe not even, you know he did go to college, but I mean he, his more of a street smarts kind of guy that educated himself about life. And, and I think that was one of the things that, that I enjoyed the most about writing his book is we spent an awful lot of time together working mm-hmm. on it. And at one point he told me, he goes, this thing's going to be a thousand pages long. <laughs> and I said, I said, no, we're going to hold it a little bit under that. But he just had an interest. He talked about having an interesting life. I mean, you know, growing up in the depression, you know, working on ore boats in the, on the great lakes, working, doing a you know, TV, shows in columbus ohio with where the weather guy was jonathan winters i mean you know there was just wow. so many things that happened to him apart from calling baseball games and we got into a lot of that you know the the civil rights movement i mean we got into a lot of he just lived in that era fighting in world war ii you know I mean, we just ended up talking about a lot of that kind of stuff that really had nothing to do with baseball that is one of the reasons that i really enjoyed doing that book with him
0: tell me about red Shane east
1: well, Red was a great guy. I mean, the the best story about Red was his wife actually, Mary is the one that wanted him to do the book, and I had to kind of convince Red that it was you know he had stories to tell. And I remember mm-hmm. being at uh, at his because he was just so humble and so quiet, and you know mm-hmm. didn't want to say anything that was going to be controversial whatsoever. And I remember you know, being at his house one day, his wife Mary were they were both there and telling stories, and Mary would tell a story, and, and Red looked at her and said. I don't think we can put that in the book. And then, and then Red would, t- and then Red tells a story and Mary goes, you're not going to say that in the book. And I'm like, guys, you got to put something in the book. So, it, you know, again, <laughs> the, the fight with tuberculosis, I mean, yeah. there's just, you know, so many things that happened to him and his career and, being roommates with Stan Musial, wow. you know, I mean, and the fact that they had such a great relationship and were the best of friends for forever, there's just a lot of you know, fun memories. That was a, a fun project to do as well.
0: I bet it was. As you know better than I, Red Shandings was a man of few words. He was not a mm-hmm. chatterbox. And as you know, he would dress out before spring training games, go down and hit phone mm-hmm. goes on the field, and then during the game he would come up and he'd sit right next to us, right next to mm-hmm. you and right next to me. And he would sit there and watch the game, hardly even said a word. And I can remember late in spring training, there was a shortstop who was still up with the team, hadn't been cut yet, hadn't been sent down. And I said to Red, I said, Red, I'm not going to mention the guy's name, but I said to Red, I said, Red, do you think he's going to make the team? And he turned to me and said, can't hit. And then, <laughs> and then went back and started looking at the game. And sure enough, he didn't make the club. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's a very keen observation. Yeah, yeah, you know that's kind of one of the thing. One of the things that's pretty much required of a player to, to play in the big leagues is you have to be able to hit a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, no, very good judge of talent. A very good, you know, guy. I mean, I think did a, a great job as the Cardinal manager, but you know, he was the beneficiary of having some great players. You know, and I think Red was one of those guys who would tell you that the biggest quality, and Whitey would say the same thing, the biggest quality that a manager has to have is great players. Yeah, you know, look at Joe Torre. I mean, you know, when he managed the Cardinals, he did not have great players, and the team had no success. He goes to the Yankees and wins, you know, multiple world championships and is in the Hall of Fame. So, you know, a manager, obviously, a lot of times I think it's too much credit for a team's success. And I think it's too much blame for a team's Mm -hmm. lack of success. But that's just the the same as the coach in football, coach in basketball, whatever. I mean, that's just you can't fire a team. It's a cliche, but it's true. So if you need to make a change, it's usually the manager that, that has to pay the price.
0: I remember Whitey Herzog talking about every time he lost a game, it was either because he left a pitcher in too long or took him out too early.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think handling a bullpen is, I do think, you know, now in this era of analytics and shifting and all that kind of stuff, I do think still the most important thing that a manager has to be able to do, the most important skill he has to have, is have to be able to handle his bullpen. You know, you don't get complete games anymore. You don't get a starter going, you know, 130 pitches or whatever. So knowing when to take the starter out, knowing how to handle that bullpen how to keep everybody fresh how to not overuse guys I think that's the a, a biggest factor in a team winning or, or losing that's one of the reasons I do think the Cardinals are going to be pretty good this year is they've got a really deep and talented bullpen and I think that you know the back end of that if Hicks is able to start the season on time and, and is healthy and Reyes has just had a phenomenal spring you know those guys are going to be lethal at the back end of, of games and you just have to try not to overuse them but if they can handle that bullpen correctly and I think Schilder has done a good job of that so far in his career then they're going to really be kind of tough to beat, I think, especially at the end of all games.
0: Let's talk about Albert Pujols. I mean, he's got over 600 home runs now. He's, he's this may be his last season. Uh, he's, in, mm-hmm. in my opinion, he's the first battle Hall of Famer. Tell me about uh, about your time with Albert Pujols.
1: Yeah, you know, those were both you know kids books, so we didn't spend as much time together. They were kind of just simpler. Projects to uh, to kind of attract some younger readers because obviously he was such a fan favorite in St. Louis, but you know he's got a unique story to tell too. He wasn't a, a guy that was a surefire Hall of Famer when the Cardinals signed him, a 13th round draft pick out of a junior college in Kansas City. Yeah. Questions about his age, which questions have persisted throughout his career about his age, and you know, if he really was the age that he said he was, nobody's ever been able to have definitive proof one way or the other. So just have to assume that it's it's correct, but he came into camp in, in spring training that first spring and, and was not guaranteed a job. And The story goes that Mark, you know, he hit a home run late at the end of spring training or a big hit late at the end of spring training and Mark McGuire went to the leaders and said he's got to be on the team. <laughs> but he still wasn't going to be on the team until Bobby Benilla got hurt. That's right. You know, that's one of the most famous injuries of, of all time. Sure is. Bobby Benilla gets hurt right at the end of spring training and, and Pujols makes the club and Actually started in left field. People don't forget this. His, his first game in the Cardinals career, play, which played left field. He did. I think he batted bat sixth or seventh in the lineup. And then history will tell you that he's gone off. I'm sure will be a first ballot Hall of Famer.
0: I, I think so, too. And I like to tell people that uh, uh, Albert Pujols' first spring training with the Cardinals was also my first spring training. So I also like to tell oh, them that, that's good. that I got to announce Albert Pujols' very first home run as a Cardinal, even though it was spring training.
1: Yeah, well, that's a good memory yeah, to have. Yeah,
0: it is fun. Tell me about your book, Intentional Walk.
1: Yeah, it was a book that came out, I think about, I think in the 2013, and it was a book that I did during the 2012 season. It's an inside, the the subtitle is An Inside Look at the Faith that Drives the Cardinals, published by Thomas Nelson. And it was at that time, and actually still true today, Cardinals had a lot of players that had you know very deep religious faith, and I just thought it'd be an interesting book to do the chapter by chapter on each of those guys and kind of tell their story and their journey and and what uh, you know cause had made them so successful. And, and we kind of did a cross section of players, even did some players in the minors. Colton Wong was in the minors at the time, but he was included in the book, and and some guys that were you know just journeyman type players and weren't all stars. But you know you had Wayne Wright and Carpenter and Matt Holiday and Lance Berkman and Carlos Beltran, and it was just a particularly good group of. People on that team. Trevor Rosenthal was on that team that was in that, that book. So, this kind of book that told their stories. Mike Matheny was the manager, obviously, had his own stories to tell. So, it was a, a fun project, and it did, luckily, you know, sold very well and, and was very well received because the guys had, you know, opened up about, you know, kind of everybody had their own unique story and their own unique kind of faith journey. Wainwright tells stories about how he, you know, kind of was in the middle of a boat on a lake in the midnight after he was cut from the playoff roster in 2004 and five was the primary guy to help him you know just just kind of everybody had their own kind of unique story and a unique moment of how they you know and how faith impacted their career Mm
0: -hmm. well rob rains this has been fun to catch up with you again and uh, thank you for sharing about your life at the ballpark
1: i appreciate it thank you for having me
0: listen each week for a new episode i hope you'll subscribe and share with your friends Life at the Ballpark is produced by Jim Governale. The project manager is Andrew Miller. I'm John Frost, sharing stories of Life at the Ballpark.